When looking at Lenora Sellers and what South Carolina could be bringing in in the 2024 recruiting class, South Carolina's offense could have a monstrous rushing attack in the very near future. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Lockdown Gamecocks your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and also wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. And before we get into this Monday edition of Lockdown Gamecocks, I want to let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. Obviously, South Carolina's fan base got a pretty big taste of what the future could hold for the Gamecocks offense as they got to see Lenoris Sellers on the field for the first time ever. And if you want to know what my full thoughts were on Lenoris Sellers' performance, you can go and check out my reaction show that I did regarding the spring game on Sunday. But for today's show, I wanted to sort of take the talk around Lenore Sellers and go a different direction with it and go into a hypothetical regarding South Carolina's offense and what they could possess in the very near future. Because if the Gamecocks can maintain certain commits in the 2024 class and add a couple of other guys along with that group, that group of players and Lenore Sellers could recreate Arkansas's potent ground game from a roster makeup and a schematic standpoint. And for those of you who might be sitting there wondering, Andrew, why are you bringing up Arkansas's ground game into this? Well, I'm going to refer you back to these comments that were made by head coach Shane Beamer when he was at Dow Lawkins' introductory press conference. I love the idea of being able to take what he's done in the NFL as an assistant coach and as a coordinator for multiple teams and marry that with what he's learned at Arkansas the last couple of years being a part of their offense and realizing that you can have quote a quote unquote a pro style offense but then also it doesn't have to be as wordy complicated voluminous whatever you want to say you can really narrow things down so I think being able to take what they've done at Arkansas and what he's learned in his career and marry it to best fit us is a uh, pretty cutting edge, if you will, me. So now that you have all been reminded, if you needed it, that is, that South Carolina is looking to, again, merge some of those concepts from Arkansas's offense, since Dow Hawkins had experience there, into their pro-style-ish offense, as Shane Beamer likes to call it. Let's talk about how the roster makeup could dictate this sort of change. So the Gamecocks obviously have quarterback Lenore Sellers already on the squad. Lenore Sellers is six foot three, 232 pounds. He is a dual threat quarterback. He showcased that on Saturday night to the fullest extent. And that means that he can throw the football efficiently. He's not a guy that is just, you know, a really good athlete that 
might not be able to complete very many passes, especially difficult ones. Now, the North Sellers, he can run an offense in both facets of the game. You know who else can do that? Current Arkansas starting quarterback KJ Jefferson, who is quite similar to Lenora Sellers. Six foot three, 246 pounds. He is a dual threat quarterback, uses his legs a lot in the ground game, and also can throw the football efficiently. So he is a true dual threat quarterback. And his skill set was utilized quite efficiently by former offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles, who was at Arkansas the last three years. And the last two years, of course, Dow Loggins was there at Arkansas as their tight end coach. But it's not just the quarterback position where we see some similarities here potentially between South Carolina's future offense and Arkansas's current offense. Let's go look at Arkansas's 2022 offensive line. Between all five starters... Arkansas's offensive line had an average height and weight of six foot four and three hundred seventeen point four pounds, respectively. South Carolina, obviously, as we all know, has recruited quite well in the trenches, starting in the twenty twenty three class, and have carried that over into two thousand twenty four. Let's just say, for hypothetical sake, that South Carolina keeps Camp Pringle, Josiah Thompson, Blake Franks, all in their twenty twenty four class. And those three guys alongside Marquis Anderson and Oluwatson Babalade all end up being the starting five for South Carolina's offensive line in the next year or two. Their average height would be six foot four and a half inches. And four guys currently weigh 307 pounds or more. Very, very similar to Arkansas's offensive line from the 2022 season. And guess what? The comparison in this hypothetical does not end there either. Let's go to the running back position. Arkansas currently has running back Raheem Rocket Sanders, who's been one of the best running backs in the SEC for the past couple years. Rocket Sanders was listed at 6'2", 210 pounds back in high school. He was an athlete in high school that played multiple positions, including running back, wide receiver, linebacker, and he was even returned man for his high school team. Oh, and he also played basketball and ran track. Now, South Carolina's got a target in the 2024 recruiting cycle right now that they're heavily in the game for, probably even leading for right now, in Daniel Hill out of Meridian, Mississippi. And guess what? Daniel Hill has almost an identical makeup to Raheem Rocket Sanders. He is six foot one. 220 pounds. He is an athlete who plays running back, plays wide receiver, linebacker, and also has returned kicks and punts for his high school team and also happens to run track. At this point, y'all's minds ought to be blown because honestly, it is mind-boggling the fact that when you look at Lenore Sellers, the offensive line group that's being created in this 2024 recruiting class, and you throw in maybe Daniel Hill, South Carolina, in terms of those three positions, could look exactly like Arkansas has looked over the past couple years. And that's where you have the potential for a nightmarish running game for South Carolina's opponents to deal with, that is. And we're going to dive a little bit more into some of the schematics behind that in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. 
Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand Slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. This means you can get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel is the official betting partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so in terms of South Carolina's future rushing attack, potentially resembling Arkansas's rushing attack from the past year or two, let's now talk about some of the X's and O's behind that. Now, obviously, I'm not going to dive too deep into the weeds here, but There are a few different things that I am going to try to talk through to really give an idea of just what this strong running game could do for South Carolina's offense. Firstly, it could open up the door for South Carolina to have more run-pass options in their offense. Now, this is something that South Carolina had to a certain extent when they had Kurt Roper and Brian McClendon as their offensive coordinators back when Will Champ was coaching here. The RPO game kind of got thrown out the door when Mike Bobo came along in 2020. And when Marcus Satterfield was here, while the Gamecocks have had some RPOs in their playbook, they didn't really run them to exactly a significant degree, besides apparently a lot of bubble screen type RPO action plays. Now, for South Carolina... With the North Sellers on this roster, and again, the potential future offensive line group they could get, and a guy like Daniel Hill, who I talked about earlier from the 2024 cycle, the RPO choices here would be endless because you got to think about this. South Carolina's offensive line with the size that they could potentially have, you talk about Daniel Hill and the fact that, you know, he's not exactly, you know, slow or anything. He's got really solid speed when you watch his film. But Daniel Hill is definitely a guy that can run behind his pads. Oh, and if you decide that you're going to go right at Daniel Hill, guess what? Safton's quarterback, an early enrollee true freshman right now, is already six foot three, two hundred and thirty-two pounds, and could potentially add more weight in the near future. That's not even accounting for the fact that South Carolina could have certain wide receivers on their offense like Mazio Bennett, like a Jonathan Paler. Obviously, you got a guy like Landon Sampson who's young and on the roster right now, and if he gets more time to develop, you know, he could be somebody that could really help out in this offense. You got a Micah Gilbert from the 2024 class. You got 2025 guys like Caleb Cunningham who could come into South Carolina and help this offense out. And for the majority of these guys, they are fast. They are playmakers. They can make plays on the ball in a variety of different situations, and they'll make you pay down the field. And that leads me into choice routes. Choice routes in South Carolina's offense, if they were to take this concept from Arkansas that they've run over the past couple years, would mean essentially this. South Carolina's wide receivers 
would run their route based on the kind of coverage they are getting from opposing defensive backs. So let's say, let's use a current wide receiver right now. Antoine Juice Wells has a choice route, okay? He could go either vertical if the defensive back has crept up to him, or if the defensive back is lined up like 10 yards off of him pre-snap, he could run a comeback route where he just takes, you know, eight, nine steps down the field and then just cuts right on back to the quarterback and get a solid six plus yard gain automatically. When you have a strong running game in football, typically an opposing defense, unless they are just so bad in terms of their personnel that they are, they know they're not gonna be able to stop you. They're going to slowly creep everybody up closer to the line of scrimmage. They're going to contribute more bodies to the box to try to slow down your ground game. This is when you open doors of opportunities for your wide receivers. And if they're dynamic wide receivers like Maceo Bennett and Jonathan Paler and the other guys I mentioned earlier, then those guys, if they just beat these defensive backs off the line, they will make them pay. And all of a sudden now, South Carolina hasn't just established a strong ground game, but now they're hitting you for 50-plus yard bombs behind your secondary because you're having to respect the ground game so much that now your secondary is compromised. Based on everything I'm talking about, everything I just said, you could probably now understand why a lot of football coaches, for all the cliche sayings that they have about wanting to be the toughest team in the country, they want their kids to always be physical. Another thing that these coaches always talk about, for the most part, is they want a strong ground game. They want to have a balanced offense. Shane Beamer's talked about this before. And when he talks about a balanced offense, what he means is he wants the offense to possess the ability to both run the ball and pass the ball essentially when it is needed. Not just throwing the ball 50% of the time and running the ball the other 50% of the time. South Carolina up to this point in Shane Beamer's tenure has not been able to really establish a consistent strong running game. They were able to do it at times last season, thanks to largely the play of a Marshawn Lloyd. But once Marshawn Lloyd got hurt, obviously, that basically got stonewalled from that point on. If South Carolina could get back to the days of when Marcus Lattimore was here, or even when Mike Davis took over for a year or two after Marcus Lattimore went on to the NFL, South Carolina's offense would become so much more dangerous because right now, just in the current moment, they got a quarterback in Spencer Rattler. And obviously, they got one of the best wide receivers in the country in Antoine Juice Wells. And they've got some other nice pieces on the team as well. And guys like Trey Knox, Joshua Simon, Eddie Lewis, on Joyner, Mario Anderson, Juju McDowell. They're all nice pieces. But the issue is, people are worried about South Carolina's offensive line. And thus, at the same time... With other factors involved, they're worried about South Carolina's ground game. And because of that, that could put a cap on what South Carolina might be able to accomplish in 2023. We have to acknowledge that. But if South Carolina can get this roster and this scheme to where they could do all these different things because of a guy like North Sellers, guys like Ham Pringle, Josiah Thompson, everybody else in the offensive line, a running back like Daniel Hill, the receivers I've mentioned, that South Carolina's offense could take off. 
because of a strong ground game that Dow Loggins could take from his time at Arkansas. That is why recruiting is going to be important to watch throughout the rest of this cycle because, you know, South Carolina, obviously, it looks like they're going to be able to keep all these guys that they currently have, but recruiting is a very fickle thing in college sports, especially with football. Sometimes you never know. Guys can flip on a dime. If they can land Daniel Hill, if they can get more of these wide receivers, then this could become a real fun offense to watch. So South Carolina, from a roster standpoint, they're already getting there. And if they can get the roster, then they can tweak the scheme even more. They can add more things to it. And then this offense, it could be the best offense that we've seen since the Steve Spurrier years. And that would be saying a lot. And you throw that in with the great special teams play that Shane Beamer and his coaching staff have instilled in this program. And this football program could take the next step in being a perennial contender in the SEC. All right, now getting into the final portion of today's show, I want to switch gears over to the baseball diamond. South Carolina's baseball team lost their first three-game series of the season on Sunday, officially, as they lost Game 3 in Nashville to the Vanderbilt Commodores, and Game 2, for that matter, after winning the first game of the series. And that leads into my overall take with this series, which is the fact that it was a tale of two different stretches for South Carolina's baseball team. In the first 10 innings of this three-game series against the Vanderbilt Commodores, South Carolina offensively scored 18 runs and hit the ball in the field 16 times. Defensively and pitching-wise, they had two defensive errors, six runs were given up, 10 hits were given up, and they walked four Vanderbilt batters. Now, Through the final 16 and a half innings of this series, South Carolina only scored five runs. That's averaging around a run every three innings. They had six hits in total. They had six defensive errors. 14 runs were given up. 15 hits were given up. And they walked nine Vanderbilt batters. In essence... South Carolina truly got beat in this series. There's no, you know, flukish type component to this series. There's a lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas for South Carolina. They certainly did not help themselves. But Vanderbilt, to their credit, they won this series. They were the better team in this stretch. So what all exactly happened? Well, you cannot narrow it down, obviously, to one thing. But there is one sort of reoccurring theme that I noticed throughout the series that really stuck out to me, especially in South Carolina's two losses here. When the South Carolina Gamecocks went up to the plate to hit in the last two games of this series, the Gamecocks, if they ever got a base runner on a base pad, they got a hit or they drew a walk with two outs, usually. The inning was just about over, and the Gamecocks would get somebody on, and they would extend the inning, but essentially delay the inevitable, because the next guy would say, you know, have a ground out, or they would strike out, and their half inning would be over. For Vanderbilt, they either drew an opening walk, or got an opening base hit when they went up to bat, or even during innings where South Carolina's pitchers were doing better, 
And they looked like they were going to have a clean inning. Nobody was going to reach base. And they were going to be able to go back to the dugout. And Sacramento would have another crack at Vanderbilt's pitching staff. The Gamecocks all of a sudden would give up, say, a single. Or they would give up a walk. And all of a sudden, that started to add up. Then another guy would reach base. And another guy would reach base. And then there would be a double. And then they'd score two, three runs. Or there would be an error somewhere. And you see where I'm going with this. The mistakes piled up. For South Carolina. One turned into two, turned into three, so on and so forth. In terms of fielding, obviously, eight errors in three games is just ridiculous. It's not good enough. I do believe that the Astro Turf field did have an impact on South Carolina's fielders this weekend. I think that at least two or three of the errors by Talmadge Lecroy, who I'll talk about a little bit more in a second, really were from the AstroTurf. And Michael Brasso, I believe, had an error as well. And I think that that was because of the different bounce that the baseball took off of the AstroTurf that changed, of course, sort of the spin angle and degree. And it it obviously, it, it just changed their whole approach in terms of how they were trying to field grounders. And I do think that that had an impact on South Carolina's infielders. That's not, of course, again, to excuse what happened because eight errors is far too many. But I think that that did have an impact. Miscommunication also was not very good. Braylon Wimmer and Michael Braswell, they could not get on the same page in this series. They had multiple instances where the both of them, it looked like, were going after the same ground ball. And both of them thought the other guy was going to get it. And so they sort of let off or they did not try necessarily to just full bore go right after the baseball. And it led to a free base runner for Vanderbilt. And there was not even an attempt made to get the guy out. And that was sort of something that you haven't really seen from this Gamecock baseball team all season long for the most part. The other thing is this, the pitching, honestly, After the first game, there was not really a whole lot of pitchers that went out there that you could sit there and say they had a really good outing. The only guy you might be able to point to and say that off the top of my head is probably Matthew Becker from Game 3 because he started Game 3. I think he pitched four innings through about 80 pitches. Was in a lot of trouble at multiple points in his outing. But hey, at the end of the day, he only gave up two runs. That is plenty good enough for a guy that was starting a third game because one of your starting pitchers is still out with a back issue right now. Besides that, everybody else struggled, honestly, from this pitching staff. Not many guys just stepped up, quite honestly. For the first time all season, again, South Carolina was outplayed for the majority of the series in all three phases. Every single one of them. Pitching, hitting, and defense. Vanderbilt outplayed him in all three phases. And yeah, we can make the argument that, well, if South Carolina played Vanderbilt at home, who's to say that they wouldn't have won two games out of three? And yeah, that's all well and good. It's just that for how much South Carolina dominated Vanderbilt in the first game, for them to go out there and do what they did the last two games um, was just shocking, honestly. It was just completely and utterly shocking to watch. So the biggest question now coming out of this series loss is how does Mark Kingston's squad respond? Because obviously now for the first time you're going back home and you just lost a series and you were the losing team. Again, it was not a fluke. Vanderbilt got you. They popped you in the mouth in all three phases 
And at the end of the day, you weren't able to get off the mat. So now you got to wipe yourself off and you got to reevaluate. You got to say, what happened? Why did it happen? And how do we move forward here? Because now what South Carolina has got to avoid is they've got to avoid this snowballing, potentially. Because again, they've been great all season. And some of you might be sitting there saying, Andrew, you're overreacting a little bit. It's one series loss. And y'all are right. It is one series loss. But again, baseball is a very fickle sport. One loss or one series loss, a loss of confidence, can change everything for an individual player or for an entire ball club I don't have many concerns with this team long term but I do have a couple of minor concerns where's Talmadge Lee Croy's head at defensively again I don't put all the errors this week on him I think that again it was a tough adjustment dealing with the AstroTurf there were multiple plays that he made where he or Braylon Wimmer could have gotten the ball and tried to make a throw to first and He almost made a really good play, but he just missed the throw a little bit off the plate. And so Gavin Costas had to take his foot off the bag, and the Vanderbilt runner ended up being safe. You can live with those at least, because those are just, those are effort plays that just did not work out in your favor, right? But four errors in one weekend, you have to worry a little bit about, you know, is that going to stick in, is that going to wear on his mind? Is that going to affect his confidence? Is he now going to be worried about, you know, if a ground ball gets hit to him, even at his own home ballpark, if he's going to be able to field it properly? That's what you got to worry about with Tawaj Lecroy. Same thing with Kate Austin on the mound. He got put out there in a really bad situation. Game three, he got put out there with the bases loaded. First guy got walked, I believe. And then the very next guy got a base hit or hit a hard ground ball to Lecroy. Again, Lee Crow wasn't able to get the ball corralled, unfortunately. Led to a couple more runs being scored. And even though, again, it wasn't all on Kate Austin. He was responsible for all the base runners, obviously. Um, You know, again, that's now two times in the last three appearances that he's made where, you know, things just did not go his way when he was out there on the mound. So... You again, you have to hope that that is not snowball for him because Sapcon is going to need this pitching staff. They're going to make a deep run and go to Omaha. They need this pitching staff. They need everybody in this pitching staff. And Kate Austin is one of them. And he obviously is a much better pitcher than what he's shown recently. Everybody knows that. We've all seen what Kate Austin could do when he's on the mound and when he's locked in. So you just hope that, again, this does not turn into, you know, him maybe having the yips where he just gets worried about, you know, things just getting out of control when he's out there. And then the last thing is this. Can Gavin Casas make some tweaks to his approach at the plate? Because recently, Gavin Casas just has not done a whole lot offensively for South Carolina. He has gotten two hits in his last 24 at-bats. I believe that dates back all the way to the midweek win over the North Carolina Tar Heels, which was now almost two weeks ago as of today's show. Now, he has reached base an additional eight times, to be fair, in that same stretch via either a walk or hit by pitch. But here's the thing. Gavin Casas is not a guy that has the same role as a Carson Horning or maybe an Evan Stone, where for those two guys, Safcon's coaching staff only wants those guys to get on base. For a guy like Gavin Casas, they want him to be driving at runs and getting hits every other time that he's up there at the plate. Every guy goes through slumps, but Gavin Costas is going through, I think, a real tough one as of late. 
And I think all in all, he's got to tweak something in his approach because the Gamecocks got a couple of left-handed batters in their lineup. And for every real lineup, you want to have at least a couple of those guys that you can consistently rely on. Dylan Brewer has done better lately, but obviously Dylan Brewer does not have the power that Gavin Casas has. Gavin Casas is an X factor in this lineup because he is a left-handed batter and he has a lot of power behind his swing. He can absolutely crush any ball that he gets the full barrel on. But lately, that has not been happening. And as good as Ethan Petrie has been, as Cole Messina has been, and Braylon Wimmer has been, all those guys, they are right-handed batters. I'm not trying to sound like Mr. Modern Day Analytical Guy for baseball, but you got to have a left-handed guy that you can rely on. It, it would be a fantastic luxury for South Carolina moving forward going into the postseason if they've got that in Gavin Costas. Recently, that has not been happening. But again, Costas has got time to make some adjustments before, you know, we really start to get into those games that are really important, which, of course, are the games in the postseason. So, again, not a whole lot of major concerns with this team, but there's a couple of players that I'm going to be curious to see. How do they bounce back from what happened this past weekend? And collectively, how's the team bounce back? Do you let a midweek game against Charleston Southern creep up on you? Right? Are you going to come into that game a little bit sluggish because you're still wondering what on earth happened back in Nashville that you let them all of a sudden maybe, say, have a three-run lead going into the seventh inning? All those are valid questions that we will, of course, see answered in the very near future. With that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, as always. What are your thoughts on South Carolina's potential roster makeup in the near future and how that could help them recreate a real potent ground game like the Arkansas Razorbacks have had over the past couple years? Let me know your thoughts on that hypothetical and everything else I talked about on today's show in the comments section. If you watch today's show on YouTube or you can shoot me a direct message on Twitter at a line underscore SC and I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. Also, thank y'all so much for once again tuning in to today's show. The Lockdown Gamecocks podcast is now on Facebook. You can go and follow our page over on there by just searching up Lockdown Gamecocks and you ought to be able to see the logo very clearly and distinctly. Once again, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Monday and a fantastic start to the work week. And I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. <laughs>